Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. Today is July 17th, 2019, and it's Wednesday, and it's been a busy week. We all have to agree. So just top headlines for today. We've got Turkey sanctioned. We've got uh, Somalia afoot, uh, you know, attacking Ethiopia and Kenya. We've got uh, Turkey being, uh, uh, I would say, disappointing NATO. Could it mean that they're exiting? Uh, we already put our foot down, but I told you guys that in November, right? That they were going to get the Russian missiles, right? And that they're not getting the F-35s, right? So that's done, and it, it was Obama's fault, and we'll talk about that. Uh, what else do we have? Ilhan Omar exposed for having pre- Okay, having closed door meetings with Turkish and possibly even uh, Turkish officials, which is the foreign minister, the president of Turkey and the ambassador or general or consulate general, as you recall, of Turkey, closed door meetings before she was congresswoman. Pretty interesting. And possibly Iran, but there's more. There is way more. Because as Laura Loomer.us and myself have been getting deep and dirty and up to the elbows in it, man, our sources in Kenya have a lot, a lot to tell us. Uh, So... You know, the anti-American caucus, the anti-American squad is in full force and the Democrats now own them. So we'll talk about that. We also have Epstein news. I mean, we have everyone trying to back out, you know, the professor from Harvard, Pinker. He's like, yeah, I don't have any relations with Jeffrey Epstein yet. Dude, I've got a picture of you on his Lolita Express posing with your friends. Like, what are you talking about? Epstein is really heating up. There's so much more coming out. I mean, his bail hearing was pushed back because there's more information coming. And from what I hear, it has to do with a certain photographer, has to do with certain pictures, has to do with sales sites on the Internet. Sales sites. What? So what is it like an eBay for your choice of person? Or maybe a menu. So we'll talk about all of that uh, today. I think maybe we should start with um, foreign policy because no one's talking about this. So you know what's shocking is that the mainstream media is talking about what they want to talk about, right? And they only talk about things that they can attack President Trump on. They won't tell you anything, nothing that can show advancements in our nation, that can show, uh, you know, President Trump doing a great job. No, uh uh-uh. That will never happen. As long as you and I are alive, I can assure you that the mainstream media will never, ever, unless they're, you know, 
fired and owned by someone else, and they will never say something good about President Trump. Now, I thought I'd start with Africa because I told you that Africa is really important. I also told you that I've been sending a lot of, you know, um, correspondence. And I don't even know if the president gets it. You know, at some point, whoever gets his mail is like, damn, this woman has a lot of ideas and she keeps sending them like she needs to stop. (laughs) But I had mentioned to you guys many, many times before, Africa is like a big deal. Africa is like a money pit. I've also explained to you how China has taken over South Africa's media, how they own all of their TVs. So they're kind of like the direct TV with no competition in South Africa, right? And they've made buckets and oodles and, you know, so much money. Now, I told you about Africa. I told you how they're going to be coming into, you know, the scene. I told you that this is going to be a really important thing. And you also saw that uh, that corrupt, you know, hopefully retroactively impeached uh, President Barack Hussein Obama even put out a video uh, just a few days ago. Well, is it a few days ago? Um He put out a video, uh, yeah, on July 10th about his Obama Foundation stuff, right? Remember? And I played that for you yesterday. And by the way, yesterday's episode, uh, you know, on air, live, recorded, uh, uninterrupted, because obviously when I was talking about Wexner, uh, for some reason my feed was being interrupted. Well, it's uninterrupted and it's uploaded right now. So again, uh, I always upload all my radio shows so that way you can listen to them in their entirety and also, you know, maybe go back and listen to other ones uh, that could show you that the past really does prove the future. Uh, So we saw that on July 10th, Obama push to have this initiative, right? This initiative to um, put forward uh, an African, you know, movement. Well, the thing is, the, the, the mainstream media didn't tell you that President Trump did the same thing. So uh, President Trump, he actually launched a program. The program is called Prosper Africa. Okay. Now, the Washington Post wrote about this. They did uh, back in uh, June. It's obviously behind a paywall. You won't find a lot about it. And nobody really talked about it. And this is a great initiative. Remember, I told you that if you're an American company and you want to make money, right? And, you know, I don't know, you, you're like G, but G is not even American anymore, right, guys? So they're German. But let's pretend that, you know, there's an electric company called American Electric, and they power people, and it's, you know, an American company. If they wanted to make so much money in perpetuity for forever, ever, ever, never needing to, all they need to do is pick any country randomly in Africa, either that be the Congo, Rwanda, whatever you want, Ghana, whatever, and say, I'm going to invest in that country and I'm going to power the whole thing. And I'm going to give control to that local government and they're going to be paying me, I don't know, 15% of their revenue in perpetuity because I've invested all the infrastructure, right? And boom, you make money. Now, for some reason, uh, you know, the mainstream media and even Brookings, you know, which which I like their analysis most of the times. Well, Brookings uh, put together a little piece about how um, Prosper Africa was introduced at the Corporate Council in Africa's U.S. uh, and Africa Business Summit in Mozambique uh, just in uh, this June 19th. Right. And this is about ramping up trade and investment between the U.S. and Africa. I told you this was coming. And this is why Obama 
jumped on that train because he wanted a block. I'll tell you why. So Prosper Africa basically is how uh, we can get in there and not only invest and make money as a country and create better relations with African nations, but also promote stability. Because if we're offering them power, we're offering them internet, we're offering them products, and we increase our trade, right, with them, because you can't go to like an African country right now and just find a Walmart anywhere you want. You know, these people still live in huts. They don't have power. They don't have running water because no one's investing in it on purpose, right? The more um, secluded you keep a nation or a people uh, and uh, the more, I would say, um, how would I say it? I don't want to say undereducated because they're educated in their own sense, right? For their reality, for their environment, for their community. But to keep them excluded from the rest of the world's pace, right? Gives you an advantage of taking over really easy. And that's not something that the Trump administration wants to do. Now, for some reason, Brookings, when I read their article yesterday, was talking about how, um, you know, John Bolton last December uh, kind of introduced that to President Trump. Now, I heard about that. And this is why I told you in December that Africa is going to be, you know, uh, coming in at the end of 2019. Now, I found that his recommendation was right, because I've already told you that the instability we see in the Middle East is about about what? Ah, oil, yes, but no, that's short term. What's the long term? Africa, right? Remember? I told you that. Infrastructure, connection, railroads, coming in and connecting three continents. That's Asia, Europe, and Africa. Remember, I told you that. This is why Turkey is a very important and strategic location. So I've said that. So um, the administration has laid out uh, how they're going to do trade, how they're going to invest. And it's actually a very business-oriented thing, kind of like what I said. You make tons of money. Like if I had a business, like a food chain, let's pretend I had Subway, right? I was the owner of Subway and I can make Subways, right? And I franchise them. I would be in Africa putting a Subway in every single city that had a population of over, you know, 500 people in Africa. And I would make my money regardless because I would source, you know, local products, of course, and, you know, kind of jimmy my sandwiches that are regular. But I would make tons of money because I would be one of the first you know, chains and brands. This is business oriented. This is, you know, a good trade investment. And, you know, you just make a ton of money. And remember, President Trump is about business. Now, the issue that we have is that, you know, the way business is conducted in Africa and the way business is conducted everywhere else is completely different. In Africa, it's all about bribes and who you pay and who you know and what, you know, gang in the area protects you, who allows you to do things. So we need to like fix that. Now, the reason Bolton recommended this to the president is exactly what I've been saying uh, for like forever, ever, ever, which is China is actually engaging in uh, modern slavery practices because just like I said, how do you keep a nation under your thumb? How do you keep a people under your thumb? Keep them stupid, keep them ignorant, and then you have the upper hand. And that's exactly what China did. So they're um, taking advantage of um, African resources, minerals, or just labor and getting stuff done in Africa. Russia has also invested a little bit more kinder. Their, you know, slave, modern slavery is actually paid, uh, even though low, you could say it's like illegal migrant uh, pay. Okay. Uh, so 
it's not as bad, but they've been taking advantage of it. And Bolton suggested, hey, President Trump, we're a rich nation. We're making tons of money. Maybe we should go in there and get a bit because China and Russia are really focused there while the Middle East is eating each other alive. So can we get something done? So this is what is happening. You know, um, uh, you know, we're doing this. We want to invest in Africa. Not so much just not only just to make money, but to um provide an incentive for Africans to stay in their countries, you know, because for some reason in Africa, leaving and going to America or leaving and going to England is a big deal. It's like you've made something of yourself because you left our country kind of thing. And I'm going to, you know, take you back onto a personal, you know, time travel trip with me. But back in the, um, the late 90s, we're talking 1998, I met um, a guy named Nelson in London. He was actually a prince of the Ibu tribe in Nigeria. So I know a few words in Ibu, okay? Um, and um, I actually traveled to Lagos. I mean, he was more into the like, hey, I like you, let's get married you. I was like, hey, we can only be friends and I've only got, you know, a couple days leave, so I want to go to Nigeria. So when I went there, I noticed that, uh, okay, aside from the fact that he was like considered like the prince or the heir to whatever tribe, uh, the, the, the thing that was, that was weird was, you know, he was just an average dude. Like, you know, he wasn't royalty. He didn't have a lot of pull as you would say but his family had money because they were investing in their community um and this is why he was considered the prince not like crowned royalty prince but like um uh, they would call him Prince, but it's kind of like, oh yeah, you're the man because you're from a prominent rich family. And apparently in his timeline, somewhere his great grandfather had found actual physical gold and that's how the family had their riches or whatever. And, you know, they actually had a house that was built. It was really nice, a nice mansion. And they had, you know, in-house, you know, not slaves, you know, what do you call them? People that live there for free and you feed them and you kind of give them health care, but they do everything for you. I mean, one would say it's in-home help. Other people seeing it could say they're slaves because for me, they were trying to put my shoes on and I was like, yo, I could do that myself. So it was, it was a little bit weird. But what I noticed is, is that um, there was a big gap between the houses, you know, that you would see and people prospering and this is 1998 right obviously things have come along from there and the more um uh, i would say uh, and, and and the other community right the shacks the ghetto whatever you want to call it uh but it had its thing and i was th- and i even told him dude why are you in england why aren't you here like reinvesting i mean you're in england you see the you know the chicken shops and nando's and whatever why don't you like you know, invest or get a loan or something if you guys don't have any money and you're just like living off of, you know, royalties or whatever from stuff you have. But why not invest in your own community? Why not bring like a food chain or something and make it cheap or, you know, build a school and create collaboration with a school in England and, you know, help educate and promote your own community. And I, you know, he looked at me and he's like, yeah, but you know, the problem in Africa is, is that we're run by um, factions of gangs. And so 
you know, unless you're good with them, uh, they won't let you do that. They don't like people being independent. And that's like a cultural thing because we have to submit. And I was like, well, your family's well off. You know, you guys have businesses. You guys have buildings where you rent apartments and stuff. So, you know, you guys are having great residual income enough to pay to have you in England and stuff. You know, why, you know, this? And he's like, well, you know, a part of that pay is that we have to pay these gangs. So there's a difference in how people do business there. No matter how prominent or well off an African family may be, they're still under the thumb of thugs because their human life is not, mm, it, it won't phase someone. It will, but not really. You hear about people being slaughtered in the middle of the streets with machetes like it's a Tuesday for them when that happens, you know, and that, you know, and while I was in Lagos, I was there for like three days, um, you know, there was a beheading further down and he's like, yeah, you know, some guy, you know, tried to talk to his girlfriend, so he killed him. And I was like, he's going to jail, right? He's like, yeah, but, you know, he'll get a slap on the wrist because it's like an honor thing. I don't know. It depends on the judge. And I'm thinking, what? What is going on here? How is this okay? You could just chop someone's head off in the middle of the street, you know, right down the strip from where the bars are and it's all good. So it's a different type of culture. Kind of like I said, if we were to open this southern border and mesh with Mexico, it would be a hot mess because their work ethic is different than ours. We're lazy when it comes to labor, right? We need rights. We need breaks. We need, you know, like in my city here, this is like the craziest thing I've ever heard. Okay. Just listen to this. All right. Because it made me laugh. So garbage, right? Garbage collection, waste management, right? You leave your garbage out, they pick it up, they throw it away, right? That's their job. Well, apparently in my city, because a lot of garbage men were complaining about back pain, now they will only take garbage that fits in this specific, you know, bucket, you know, whatever garbage can that they charge you for. So you're paying rent on that specific you know, garbage can, like $20, $30, whatever it is, and your monthly fee for garbage. And if it doesn't fit in there, they won't take it because now they invested in trucks that only pick up that garbage can. So think about it this way. If you're a garbage man in Mexico, there's no such, oh, my back hurts. Oh, government, you or company, you need to invest in like, you know, trucks that automatically collect things because oh my butt hurts no that doesn't happen you're a laborer if you're in waste management you're not there to sit behind a cubicle and type you're not there to just drive a car and just make circles you know around the road and get paid top dollar you know garbage men in new york city get top pay like if you're a garbage man in new york city you get buku dollars we're talking like a hundred thousand a year just to be a garbage man okay so it is a like it is like a competitive job i remember a teacher of mine in the fourth grade in new york that told me uh hey um uh what would uh what would your ideal job be from the list we gave you and and i turned around um and said Oh, garbage man, of course. Look how much money they make. And all they do is work from like 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. Picking up trash and throwing it in the back of a truck. I mean, that's a no-brainer. You could do so much with the rest of your day, right? But anyway, work ethic. So here in Snowflake Land in North Dakota, right, where people are gun tooting and all about out in the wilderness, ice fishing and all this, this stuff, 
they're complaining that they don't want to do their job as garbage men, but they need people, they need companies to invest in automated garbage. So then what's the point of having you? We'll just self-drive these vehicles now since they're automatically picking up the garbage and you're done with the job. So in Mexico, though, you will not hear them complain. They'll be like, hey, I'm doing this job until I can't do this job. And when I can't do this job, I'll do another job. Work ethic. Same thing goes with Africa. In Africa, it's all about cutting corners. So that's going to be a problem for us into uh, fixing the situation. So when you go in there and you uh, invest, right, what you have to do is not only invest funding to create businesses, but also culturally train them to work and eliminate these factions that are in Africa that cause issues with businesses, with uh, work ethic. So basically the African markets have been slumming, you know, when back in the 90s, you know, it was kind of always in, in regards to emerging markets and stocks, people were focusing on Ghana, Nigeria, and even Sudan, you know, to come to the forefront never happened because of their internal turmoils. Okay. So um, apparently the deputy secretary of commerce, uh, Karen Kelly, had put together like three like points of what this plan is going to be doing. So it's going to be synchronizing um, the capabilities and the initiatives of the government. So we're going to see, hey, where's Ghana out? Where's Rwanda at? Where's the Congo at? You know, in regards to capabilities and, um, you know, how we can initiate conversation or business with those government agencies. Like how corrupt are they? 5%, 50%, 75 How can we reduce that? Number two was modernizing and coordinating those agencies. Um, and providing them resources so that way you know those government agencies that are there you know it's kind of like the census right remember how I said the census is to kind of canvas the area and see what needs every city has that's why we fill it out every 10 years so we can invest in it this is exactly what the plan is so they're going to these government agencies that are like I want you to canvas your area and see what needs you have so like if a city in Congo has like a thousand children and like 400 adults it means you need a ton of schools and possibly, you know, a ton of, you know, birthing centers because you're having a lot of babies and a ton of pediatricians. Right. So they're going to be doing that. And then the next step is to actually build uh, a private sector strengthening within Africa, you know, to promote businesses. So that'll be operating, you know, under the umbrella of the U.S. International Development uh, Finance Corp, um, which also already announced that they're going to be doubling their investment in uh, low-income you know countries and I think they said somewhere like in the fall that they're going to start that which is the Axis uh, Africa initiative so the reason I'm pointing this out is is that the minute President Trump starts to invest like business invest not NGO Clinton Foundation Oprah and Obama Foundation BS where they're raping these countries and they're taking advantage of these countries and for some people think that they're doing a whole lot of good when the only thing they're doing is nabbing their own people. You know, organs are a huge industry, right? Huge industry. And so is exploiting minerals and, you know, using your clout, you know, because for some reason, if you're wearing Gucci or if you're wearing Prada, you know, in Africa, you're like a god. And if you have a picture with anybody, even like a D-list celeb, like, you know, crazy Kelly Griffin, you're suddenly propelled into like elite status. You know, they're all about glamour and amour of things they don't have. 
So now we see that the Obama Foundation is coming out strong into Africa to answer this. He does not want us empowering Africa. So that's a really big deal. Now, speaking of the African continent, one thing people don't know before we head to break is that um, one of the largest, okay, largest, largest, largest bases in the African continent is guess what? For, for Turkey is in where? Somalia. So after this break, I'm going to kind of introduce to you where Turkey is at right now in the political scene, how they are being viewed by the U.S., the European Union, Israel, but more so their relationship to Somalia. Because if you went to lauralumer.us and check my Twitter feed, I finally got my article published where I was showing and demonstrating how close Ilhan Omar is with Turkey. And the second follow-up article is even more astounding. Here, we just pointed out things that were already known, closed-door meetings, etc. And think about it, right, for a second. Ilhan Omar in 2016 was running for state legislator, right, position, right, state. Why would the foreign minister of Turkey call a Minnesota rep to congratulate them on being voted into Minnesota? Think about it. Because, see, this is where it doesn't make sense. Like, if it was for me and there was someone like, you know, the prime minister of Greece called me, you know, I could excuse it. I could be like, yo, I've got tons of pictures, you know, with me and Alexi smoking, drinking when we were kids. We were friends. So it's no big deal. We used to get drunk together uh, when we were underage. <laughs> so, um, you know, but for her, what's the excuse? And so slowly this is going to be coming out but you're going to understand today what kind of relationship Turkey has with Somalia and why it's very, very important and how the Democrats fell right into the trap because they own this. Uh, so I'll see you all in just a bit right after this short break. Okay, see you soon. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. MyPillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. MyPillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. MyPillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code REDSTATE. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. All right, welcome back to the Tory Says Show. And like we left off... Uh, You know, we were talking about Africa. We were talking about why we are finally investing and how we're going to do it. So now I'm going to tell you the key to all of this. Remember, uh, Turkey is a very strategic position because it's the only landmass that allows us to um, have access. Think about it. It's kind of like that meeting point where Europe, Asia and Africa via the Middle East, of course, um, uh, can be adjoined. And all these nations for years now have invested a ton of money in creating railroads. Remember a couple years ago we heard about the Russian Chinese railroad which um, uh, allows for cheaper transport and trade, right? And then we've got the London to Shanghai line that's being built. Of course, where is it going to go through? Right, Turkey. Then we have Israel with Saudi Arabia, the United Emirates, Jordan, all of them expanding down into Ethiopia, Africa, right? So here is where it gets, you know, a little bit insane. Now, before I move into that, I just wanted to say, uh, you know what, let's start with Turkey. And then I will give you a heads up on what's going on with Turkey and Somalia. So first things first, what we need to understand is that, um, Uh, Something that I've been saying is that Turkey has finally received the S-400 shipment from Israel, right? That is the first thing uh, that I should say. And yesterday, for the first time, the New York Times decides to write an article that's very truthful that says that President Erdogan marked the day of his failed coup against him anniversary, um, uh, and it's a national holiday. But what he did was he received and flaunted uh, as something prideful the S-400, the first batch of S-400 missile defense systems that came in from Russia. And so 
Uh, at the airport, Erdogan, and I quote, says, as long as we as a nation protect our homeland, our flag, the call for prayer, democracy and the state. I don't see how the call for prayer and democracy go together because Islam does not, Sharia law, that is, does not promote democracy. So let's be fair. So he said, God willing, no power's hand will be able to reach them. Oh, Erdogan, you are so far off the mark with that. So um, he receives it. And uh, basically, uh, Asli Ayintambas, who is uh, a senior fellow with the European Council on Foreign Relations, says that Erdogan no longer trusts Western's intentions, Western intentions on Turkey. Now, this is a very key phrase. And this will allow you to see the Omar link to the Omar link uh, to something even more nefarious. Uh, It's even more calculated, even more. It's just insane. So anyway, the Turkish government, as you know, um, has accused the U.S. of um, having, um, you know, Fethullah Gulen, uh, the one who was in charge of this coup and infiltrated, but it's really weird because he's also supporting Gulen. So, you know, Turkey's demanding that we extradite Gulen, but they're friends. So it's a really weird situation. But anyway, um, one thing that Erdogan said, which was very demeaning um, at the uh, G20 summit about President Trump, and he kind of just swallowed it, was Washington has to give up the misguided notion that our relationship can be asymmetrical and come to terms with the fact that Turkey has alternatives, that Turkey's like, well, we don't need you. We can go somewhere else. And, uh, you know, he said failure to reverse this trend of unilateralism and disrespect will require us to start looking for new friends and allies. He doesn't have to start. He already did. And Russia's not his ally. It's just a means to a way. And I'll demonstrate that to you. So now that they've purchased that, uh, you know, the president, well, the Pentagon, I already told you, was not going to let him go through. But um, the president has actually pulled the F-35 sale um, from Turkey and said he's not giving any F-35 jets to Turkey. And that was evident because he, um, you know, uh grounded their pilots period and so you know he made you know he said that he wasn't going to give it to them and he's not and you know he pretty much said in his cabinet meeting yesterday we're telling turkey we're not going to sell you the jets and that decision was finalized when you know they got their first delivery now ankara let's keep this in mind had over a two and a half billion dollar deal with Russia that was from um, April 2017. And the Trump administration was frowning upon it completely. And so, um, you know, one would say, well, they did this deal with Russia when Trump was president. So, you know, he can't be upset that um, Obama did it. Uh, No, actually, the investment was, you know, so when countries get into talks where they're discussing the sale of arms or collaboration, that happens way before you actually sign the paperwork and transfer money. So we're talking four months into his administration, Turkey signs it. That was already being discussed. And Barack Obama 
had forced Turkey to turn to Russia because remember Barack Hussein Obama is a bully just like the EU because they're all about what a universal government now Erdogan assuming that he was supposedly doe-eyed and was into the whole let's not you know all universal let's all be strong and independent you know like he claims he would have seen that president trump is not obama he would have seen that president trump is not the clintons not bush not 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 but he was assured by the previous administration by the clintons by john Kerry, by ilhan omar by 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 that President Trump would not be president. Hence, that is why he made this decision. And that is the biggest mistake he ever made. Though, having said that, he didn't put all his chips in one basket. He didn't just say, well, you know, I'm going to turn to the Shanghai Corporation and poke you. He didn't do that. Um, You know, President Trump was trying to tell him, look, you don't have to go into that extremist side. You don't have to be so aggressive. You need to calm your tits down, please, because we all need to work together. This is the way capitalism works. This is the way every country wins by being competitive, fair and on equal footing. What you're doing in other countries in Africa and um, the Middle East is not a good thing. You have been funding ISIS. You have been doing all these things that Hussein has been telling you. Now it needs to stop and let's work together and because of his previous meetings with Ilhan Omar and other people like care uh, you know he was assured that President Trump would not be president for long so he did what he thought was right considering the investments that he's made in other hostile nations to expand the Turkish Empire and we'll get into that now um, it's a very complex situation so uh, this is a problem, right? And uh, this is also being demonstrated by what the Europeans are saying. So the um, the Europeans are actually voicing concern about um, Turkey receiving these missiles. They are voicing concern about them staying uh, within NATO because of these missiles. So... You know, this is a very big deal because it's uh, changing the face of alliances across the globe. So this is what is important, that this is changing the face of alliances. So uh, there's a first clip that I want to play for you, which is um, about the delivery of the missile systems uh, that Israel daily put out uh, a couple days ago when they received the missiles. Take a listen. Moving on, both the United States and Israel are fuming now over Turkey receiving the first shipment of the S-400 missile defense system from Russia. As for months, the Trump administration threatened to slap Turkey, a NATO ally, with sanctions should they move forward with the deal. Though in the meantime, other than acting Defense Secretary Mark Esper speaking to his Turkish counterpart, no official measures have been taken. But that hasn't stopped Congress from expressing its outrage. And a bipartisan statement from Congress warned that Turkey and Erdogan must face stiff consequences for this decision. So why is the United States up in arms over this? Well, the U.S. made it clear that it expected its ally Turkey to purchase an American-made Patriot defense system instead. And the preference isn't only an economic one. The U.S. feared that the Russian S-400 could be used to spy on U.S. intelligence. Also, with Turkey so willing to go against the United States' wishes, analysts worry that Turkey may be considering withdrawing from NATO altogether. 
Then as for Israel, Blue and White's Yair Lapid, for one, is calling on the U.S. to cut off all Turkish access to Lockheed Martin-made F-35 fighter jets, in part because in Israel the fear here is that Iran, which has close ties with Turkey, will be privy to the secrets of these new stealth jets. Turkey, though, is playing down all of these concerns, and it's sticking by its S-400 decision, saying that it's a strategic defense requirement, above all, to secure its southern borders with Syria and Iraq. Further, Turkish Defense Minister Hulusi Akar said the country is still deeply committed to its standing in NATO and is even considering purchasing the Patriot system as well in the future. Okay, so let me just um, elaborate on that because someone would be like, oh, it's a business thing. That's why we're hurt. No, it's not. I've elaborated this before. I even wrote an article about the S-400s on ToriSays.com where I explained to you that if they get the S-400s from Russia, they innately, like out of the box, out of the factory, recognize uh, you know, NATO-allied uh, aircraft or I would say uh, the F-35s as enemy aircraft. Now, you know, Turkey has said, don't worry about it. We'll put a software patch so it won't shoot them down and we'll have them turned off. You know, look, Russia has them in Syria and they're not shooting down F-35s. That's because Russia has turned them off because we're working together with Russia in Syria. So, you know, they're off like, you know, they've unplugged them. They're not online. If they go online, that could be an issue. And Israel has a concern on that as well because they're in the F-35 program. And here's the deal. In order for you, let's pretend you get software from, you know, XYZ company. You have uh, a computer from XYZ company and it has its software. But for some reason, when you use that computer uh, to talk to, uh, you know, your neighbor's computer, your neighbor's computer sees, uh, your, your neighbor's computer from yours is seen as an enemy because you're neighbor's computers and other company. So what do you do? You reach out to that other company and say, all right, I need you to, to help me formulate this software so that I don't recognize it as an enemy. So in order to do that, in order for Turkey to get a patch for the S-400, they need to be privy to all ins and outs of software and all hidden Easter eggs within the software of the S-400 missile system. Will Russia give them that secret? No. But Russia will say, we'll help you. And in order for them to do it, they need to have all the plans of the F-35 to see if it shifts, um, you know, its identity on radars, its identity in general, what um, chaffing, you know, capabilities it has, how does it obfuscate itself, how does it communicate, does it have remote, because all of these things can trigger, you know, the S-400. So we need to know all of this to create a patch. In essence, we're handing over all the intelligence, right, of the F-35 to Russia to create a patch, which means that that S-400 missile then may have a way to spy on these ships or track them. So this is a bona fide concern. So this is where I'm educating you to understand and break it down so you understand how important this is. Now, like I said, uh, the European Union is very concerned about this, too. Uh, they have come out. Uh, it was yesterday, I think, where uh, the EU um, head was in. Um, where was he? I think he was in Canada. Yeah. And he was talking about how um, he's concerned of the Russian missile systems. He's the NATO chief. Right. And so take a listen to what he had to say started getting deliveries of the S-400 air defense missile system from Russia, despite American warnings about potential sanctions. I recently, I think, read a headline in the Washington Post that, that sort of said President Erdogan takes Putin over NATO. That's how they frame the issue. 
What do you, would you agree with that assessment? I don't agree with that assessment, but I agree that the S-400 issue is a difficult uh, uh, issue for the alliance. It's up to each and every nation to decide what kind of equipment they acquire. Uh, at the same time, I have expressed uh, my concern about the consequences of the Turkish decision to acquire uh, Russian uh, S-400 air uh, defense uh, uh, system. Uh, therefore, I also welcome the fact that there are uh, contacts now between the United States and Turkey on the possibility of uh, U.S. delivery of uh, Patriot, uh, a U.S. system, uh, and also uh, between Turkey and France and Italy on the possibility of uh, delivering uh, a European system called uh, SAMP-T. On top of that, NATO has already augmented uh, the Turkish air defenses with the deployment of a uh, Patriot uh, battery uh, uh, system in Turkey uh, and with a uh, a French and Italian system uh, uh, also. So, so we are already doing a lot to strengthen the air defenses of Turkey and we hope that the challenge we now have with uh, S-400 is possible uh, to solve. How do you view this though as any other way or, or anything other than Vladimir Putin able, being able to drive a wedge between NATO member countries, NATO allies? Well, as I said, this is, this is uh, a difficult issue for the alliance. It has been discussed several times. Uh, the last time was uh, uh, when uh, we had the defense ministerial meeting in NATO in June. Then uh, I discussed it with the Turkish uh, uh, defense minister. also discussed it recently with President Erdogan. I know that President Trump and President Erdogan have discussed this issue several uh, times. Um, uh, uh, so we continue to try to find a, a solution because uh, what matters for NATO is what we call interoperability, that the systems have to be able to work together to share radar pictures, to operate together. And of course, a Russian system, S-400, can never be integrated into uh, the integrated uh, uh, NATO uh, air and missile defense system. But Turkey is, with respect, Turkey is receiving those. They have started receiving them as of Friday. So uh, what kind of solution is even possible? No, as I said, uh, this is a serious and difficult issue for, uh, for all of us. Uh, it is up to Turkey uh, to decide because NATO doesn't have a, a, a policy where we can de decide exactly what kind of equipment different allies are buying. But at the same time, we are concerned about the consequences and we are concerned about the lack of interoperability and therefore welcome the dialogue which is still going on uh, between U.S. and Turkey uh, and also between uh, Turkey and uh, France and Italy looking into whether it's possible to deliver other systems, a European system and or uh, an, an American system. And in the meantime, NATO is augmenting uh, Turkish air defenses uh, with two uh, deployments of air defense batteries in Turkey. OK, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Okay, so you get what he said, right? Uh, in plain English, even though <laughs> I, I love his accent, though, it's a very Flemish accent, right? Flemish. It's the language that they speak in Belgium. It's a Flemish type accent, even though he's a French native. Um, you know, Flemish is like a combination. It's like a bastardized language between French and German. Um, so what he was saying is that you can't be a NATO ally and have equipment that and share we can't share our intelligence information with you because you can't share yours because the s400 doesn't link up to our systems because if it links up to our systems then russia gets it too and they're not part of nato so in essence turkey's exiting nato okay let's just plain english there is no solution
We can't play together. We're not giving you the F-35s. You're out of NATO. And this comes on the heels to what I've been telling you about, which is now the EU has imposed sanctions on Turkey. Take a listen. Uh, in Brussels yesterday was the issue of Turkey's drilling for oil and gas in disputed waters off the coast of Cyprus. The European Union announced it was slapping a range of financial sanctions on Ankara. Kristina Jovanovsky has this report. Another front line in Turkey's deteriorating relationship with the European Union, the waters off Cyprus. This time, the prospects of sanctions have been raised against Turkey over its drilling for oil and gas around the island. It's already sent two ships, including one just last week. Analysts say Turkey wants to force negotiations to make sure any potential profits don't just go to Greek Cypriots. If the, the Turkish Cypriots and the Greek Cypriots indeed agree on how to share these resources, uh, then there will be no need uh, for uh, a separate drilling action by the Turkish side. A lot is at stake. Turkey and the EU are major... Wait, hold on. Let me just put it there. So now, listen to what Turkey's saying. They're like, we invaded your waters... We're stealing the oil in the Mediterranean that's yours, Cyprus. But here's the kicker. We don't have to fight about it. We'll just find a way that we could share profits. Since we're drilling, we'll just give you like 5% or whatever. Even though we're illegally in your waters and profiting off of something that's not ours anyway. This is like plain English translation. Trading partners. If the EU withholds funds, it would come at an especially bad time for Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan. Turkey's purchase of Russian weapons may also lead to sanctions from the United States and another crisis with another ally. A struggling economy after last year's currency meltdown has already led to major political blows for Erdogan, including a possible split of his party. But Turkey still remains a major player in the region, with the second largest army in NATO. The divided island is split between the Turkish and Greek Cypriots. No one aside from Turkey recognizes the Turkish Cypriots government. That means there is no agreement with who controls the waters around the island. Okay, so just to clarify, in 1974, Turkey invaded Cyprus. They wanted to take over the whole island, okay? This is clarification. So they invaded it, but they were stopped halfway through the island. So they've occupied, they're occupying the northern part of the island, okay? I've been there, I had to have my passport stamped to cross the border and come back. It's horrific. Um, so I'm telling you that they're the only ones across the world that recognize it as Turkish territory. Nobody else does. We all know that they've literally occupied the territory they're like it's ours we have military too bad and there was war in 1974 and that was at the time that you know turkey was forced to relinquish control of many ottoman empire control centers and you know just a few years before they occupied turkey they were forced to release mecca because they had hold of mecca and the reason the arabs did that and they forced them to do it is because they were radical islamic terrorists they said they are weaponizing our religion. We don't want that face of Islam out there. People don't seem to understand that the Muslim faith has been split in two. This is why no one talks to Turkey, because the actual literal translation is that there are fanatics, not radical. They're fanatics. Take a listen. 
Yusuf Erem is a political analyst for Turkey's state broadcaster. He says Ankara wants to show it will defend what it sees as its rights and Turkish Cypriot's rights over territorial waters. These drilling activities are basically Turkey staking a claim, reminding Cyprus, reminding Greece, and reminding the EU that, hey, we're here, our navy's here. Cyprus has already agreed to cooperate on gas exports with some of Turkey's rivals, including Israel and Egypt. The Turkey director for the German Heinrich Foundation says the EU is more of a bystander in the disagreement. I mean, the best option would, of course, be solving the Cyprus conflict, but we've seen that the last round or the last effort two years ago has failed. Um, and currently, um, the thing is also that the EU is not the biggest player in this. The Turkish Cypriots, backed by Ankara, have now proposed a deal to cooperate over the drilling with Greek Cypriots. If it's not accepted, Turkey says it will continue drilling. Kristina Jovanovsky, Euronews. Okay, so just so you understand what that means. So the European Union has imposed sanctions. The U.S. has imposed sanctions. They're getting kicked out of NATO. Are you paying attention? And like that um, ger German chiming in er came in and said, hey, you know, uh, we tried to, you know, resolve the issue with Cyprus. And it's called, you know, there's a saying in Greece. Yeah, you know, let's sit here and talk about solving the Cypriot problem. That means like, yeah, we're just going to sit here and talk in circles because it's never going to work now cyprus said yeah here here's our army here where we are you heard the turkish state media person say it right here's our navy yeah they're in your face they're like come at us we got this we got the second largest military in nato only the u.s is above us we will take you down and we want these waters this is why pompeo was in israel meeting with greece with cyprus and with netanyahu and they were all talking about this because now they want to expand their waters to the shores of israel to the shores of libya and again what did they just sign a defense agreement for libya so here's the question nato sanctioned eu sanctioned you what is the un doing how is the UN helping Turkey? They're helping them by asking them to help with Libya. The UN is a problem. They are helping fuel the, you know, the, the, the chasm here and fueling this war. It's kind of like the Democrats. Like, what are you doing, Democrats? But we're going to get into a little bit more with Turkey, which rolls into Omar, and you'll be very surprised where it goes. Uh, so, um, again, before we break out, I want you to think about it. Europe did nothing to Turkey when they invaded Cyprus. Why? Because they need Turkey. Why? Because they are the gatekeepers to access to Africa. And they are the gatekeepers to their energy supply. Okay? They get all their oil and gas via pipelines from that go through Turkey. And where does Turkey get most of their oil? Iran. I'll see you all just after this short break for the second hour where we're going to pound this out. And you're going to see how important the Democratic Party and their relationship with Omar is in this situation and how President Trump set it up and let them fall into the trap. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. 
will be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So this hour, uh, you know, we're going to roll right into the topics that we were talking in the previous hour, which is about Turkey. But it's going to show you and demonstrate to you just how... Uh, you know, this fits into Ilhan Omar because the information, I hope you all like the article on lauralumer.us that I finally published from last week. Okay. So this is from last week. Remember, I told you that we were working on this, but like I've told everyone before, I never publish any information that may have interests of national security without providing it to the authorities first. Okay, I always provide it to the authorities first. And on Thursday night, I did provide it to the authorities. You know, maybe President Trump was made aware of all of this. And that's why he was so tee off, uh, you know, over the weekend and on Friday. I'm just saying because the more, uh, you know, now I'm writing up the remainder of what is going on. You know, a lot of people are talking. She married her brother. She committed immigration fraud. Guys, this is even bigger. You have no idea. So the brother is just the tip of the iceberg. And here's the thing. What's funny is, is that even the Somali press has deleted information. They have been threatened to not to speak or say or do, but you know, I'm very nifty and nimble and I have very good sources, uh, you know, within the Ethiopian community more so because of my, you know, religious ties, you know, to the uh, Greek Orthodox church or whatever Ethiopian Orthodox church. Um, but I have a lot of stuff that has come out and, you know, obviously in the article, when I put it down there, I'm going to make mention that, you know, they're unwilling to provide me the evidence, but I'm pretty sure they're going to give it to us officials when asked. So it is going to be incredible. So what I want to do is take you on a time travel trip. We're going to go back to 2017, where Al Jazeera did a piece on Turkey. Okay, Al Jazeera did a piece on Turkey. So I want you to take a listen to this piece, because like I've said before, the mainstream media will never report things to inform you, uh, you know, and educate you. They will only give you talking points. You know, this is why we have idiots that are regurgitating words like racism. But again, in this hour, you will see how President Trump you know, was listening to Laura Loomer all this time. He was listening to everyone that was reporting on this stuff all the time, but it had to be at the right time and at the right uh, place for it to happen because, you know, now the Democrats own it and you'll see what I mean. So now let's go back in time into 2017, just a couple days after Ilhan Omar had closed door meetings with President Erdogan in 2017 before she was elected into Congress while she was just a simple rep for Minnesota. Why is a rep from Minnesota with the head of care 
having closed door meetings with the president of Turkey. I mean, if you don't have any official business and she has no quasi official business with Turkey, having a closed door meeting with a president of a nation that is hostile. And mind you, you could say, well, now they're hostile. Nope, they were hostile then. I've got articles from the Huffington Post saying how hostile they were, demonstrating how they're not our ally. And the only commonality we have is that they are in NATO, which they are no longer going to be in NATO, as we see. And they had done all that, put up that whole profile saying how Turkey is the enemy of the U.S. because they wanted to knock down Devin Nunes and Flynn. But lo and behold, that article has since been deleted hasn't been hasn't it huffpo hasn't it you know new york times hasn't it waypo but we got it right i got it we archive everything so take a listen to this video this is turkey's largest overseas military training camp it is in the somali capital mogadishu thousands of somali soldiers and others will be trained here the camp is part of Turkey's efforts to help the government tackle armed groups like Al-Shabaab. Somalia has strategic importance in combating terrorism and the security of sea lanes in Africa. It has a great potential to contribute on peace and stability in the continent and the Muslim world. A strong Somali army will surely take on the task for fighting terror groups nested within Africa. Hold on. Before we continue, I just want to remind you. So this is 2017 when they opened the largest overseas army base in Somalia. What happened in 2017? In February of 2017, President Mohammed Abdullahi, who had met with Ilhan Abdullahi Omar previous to his election, right, was elected president of Somalia. President Abdullahi of Somalia, by the way, guys, right, was what? In the in the 80s, he fled. No, he didn't flee. He came here in the late 80s with the Ministry of Foreign Relations of Somalia to work at the embassy. While he was here, he applied for asylum, you know, because all that stuff with Ethiopia was going on in Kenya. Right. So he applied for asylum and then he got U.S. citizenship. He went to Buffalo State SUNY, State University of New York in Buffalo, then worked for the Department of Transportation. This is all reported by USA Today when they did a piece on this new Somali president. But here's what they omitted. In 2010 to 2011, he actually did a nine-month stint as the prime minister of Somalia. In addition to that, he ran for president of Somalia in 2012 and failed. Uh, came back to the U.S., obviously, and then went back. So, hmm. President Abdullahi, very close ties with Ilhan Abdullahi Omar, you know, uh, when he was running, she flew to Kenya and met with him in December. She also met with the previous president. We'll get into that, who she actually protested. She protested against the previous president, you know, when he arrived to Minnesota, who, by the way, Trump barred from reentering into the United States when he was supposed to come. We'll get into that in more detail, too. So, again, President Abdullahi, right? was the one that created this relationship on more firmer grounds with Turkey. But Turkey had planned this with the previous president, who we all know the previous president and the president before that were what? Strong Al-Shabaab supporters. Strong because it's the strongest Muslim brotherhood. 
200 Turkish officers have been deployed to the base, which houses three military schools and other facilities. For the time being, 1,500 military personnel will be trained here during the first phase. When they finish the training, Turkey will provide the necessary military equipment. Turkey's involvement in Somalia has increased over the last decade. Turkish companies, NGOs and charities have expanded their operations here. The Turkish government is investing in roads and facilities, security, health and education. Are you paying attention? They have Turkish schools, Turkish companies, Turkish businesses. So this is Turkey who has a failing economy that doesn't have money, that's falling apart, is dropping serious coin and investments in where? Somalia, in their infrastructure. Pay attention. Somali officials have welcomed Turkey's involvement. Turkey also has its biggest embassy in Africa, here in Somalia. It was opened by President Erdogan at a time when security in Somalia was very fragile. Our Turkish brothers are working very hard and support us in every way possible so that Somalia can stand on its own. Last March, a suicide bomber targeted the Turkish military base. Al-Shabaab said it was behind the attack. And as Turkey expands its military presence in Somalia, there are still many challenges to overcome. Sinam Kosolo, Al Jazeera. All right, so that was from uh, 2017, right? 2017 telling you about the massive investments, right? Massive investments that Turkey has been putting into Somalia and more so ramped up after the, um, how do you say, the um, election of this uh, Somali-American man named President Abdullahi, uh, who has really strange ties with Ilhan Abdullahi Omar. So it's really, really odd, isn't it? Um, So where are we going with this? Let me fast forward you now to 2018. I want you to listen to Turkish television, state television, telling you why Turkey is investing in Somalia. Listen to what they say. Where lots of girls get named Istanbul and boys Erdogan. It's got the largest Turkish embassy in the world, is filled with Turkish hospitals and schools, and many of its people adore Turkey. Some can even speak Turkish. But this country isn't one of Turkey's neighbours or even in the same region. That's right, Somalia. In case you haven't heard, Turkey and Somalia are really good buddies. Not only is Turkish Airlines the only international flight there, but Turkey has invested millions into aid and development in Somalia and helps them in their fight against terrorism. Turkey's presence in Somalia, a famine-ridden, war-torn, terrorist-infested country, has something to do with a concept called First Mover Advantage, and it helps both Turkey and Somalia. You see, there are many African countries that need aid, and many already have heavy foreign investment, mostly from China. But Somalia is different. There, the political and economic climate is so unstable that no one's taking the risk, except Turkey. In 2011, in the height of famine and severe food insecurity that killed 250,000 Somalis, Turkey stepped in with major aid and investment. Erdogan became the first non-African leader to visit Somalia in two decades. 
After that, Turkish investment went full speed. Ankara started rebuilding the airport, paving roads, building schools and hospitals. Turkish Airlines became the first international carrier to fly to Somalia in more than two decades. And Turkish development agency Tika and the Turkish Red Crescent, along with other NGOs and organizations, began large-scale construction, waste collection and water treatment projects. Turkish Airlines has also helped carry tons of aid during the recent famine. In just six years, Turkey became Somalia's fifth biggest source of imports and has provided more than $1 billion in aid. The bilateral trade went from $6 million to $72 million in five years. And while Turkey is building schools within Somalia, it's also providing thousands of Somali students with scholarships to study in Turkey. Meanwhile, many Turkish aid workers and professionals travel to Somalia to contribute to development, despite frequent Al-Shabaab attacks, especially in the capital. Turkey just recently opened its largest overseas military training facility in Mogadishu, where they can train more than 1,500 Somali troops at a time. And the investment is paying off. Turkey has earned the appreciation of Somalis who see Turkish support and aid all around them. They watch Turkish soap operas and buy Turkish products. And while Turkish officials express that it's out of humanitarian duty that they're helping rebuild Somalia, it's a win-win for both sides. Somalia is providing Turkey with a new market in a place mostly untouched by other investors, where it can enjoy its first mover advantage. And the Horn of Africa country is also in a strategic location, serving as a gateway to the rest of Africa. It could boost Turkey's economy and influence in the continent, while helping stabilize a country that's been suffering from war, poverty and terror for decades. Now, I just want to say, so Turkey is very popular among Somalis, okay, because it uh, has benefits uh, for the Somali people by their investments in infrastructure. But what does Turkey get out of it? What we have to remember is that Erdogan was the uh, studied under the father of Islamist government of Turkey in 1974, right? Um, and so he believes in Islam. Uh, there are many times that he has made statements as, uh, you know, uh, calling people gowers um, and making uh, such weird and off claims. Uh, specifically, there was a quote that I found where President Erdogan said, American Muslims listen, have an interest in the election in Somalia because it's positive news at the end of elections. We hope to see um, uh, them flourish. But he also made a claim about the 2020 elections, which is that he hopes to see many of our Muslim brothers in decision-making positions because we are ready to exchange our experience that we have in Turkey uh, to have them. And what he was referring to is bringing Islam into the next century and uh, providing such, you know, um, I would say foundations for it. Now, I want to let you know that there have been other nations like USAID used to uh, help Somalia, but they were not being helped. Why? Why? 
Here's the thing. A lot of people don't know what the bottom line and why Al-Shabaab was created. Okay, Al-Shabaab was created um, back in the late 80s uh, when there was this outbreak of, you know, surrounding nations like Kenya and Ethiopia wanting to stop the clans, okay, because they're clans like pirate clans. Remember how I told you when I went to Nigeria, I was I was kind of educated that there's like groups of people or tribes that run places. This is like deep seated, you know, old history. It's my territory. Don't touch it. Right. So they wanted to get in and influence Somalia to get into the more Western world and also um, begin trade. They wanted to westernize that African horn, as you would say. And they resisted. Why? Because, you know, the Ethiopians are a very staunch Christian nation. Very, very. I know we have Muslims in Ethiopia. But remember, I need all of you to do your homework because for some reason, everyone just thinks of Ethiopia and Muslims. And they're the ones that, you know, the Covenant Ark, they're the ones in history that housed it. They had carved a church in cliffs to hide it. Okay, they are very strong historical Christians, very devout Christians. I'm reiterating this because people don't seem to understand. So at that point, Al-Shabaab was created as a resistance. Nah. And here's the kicker. The head and the brainchild of the birth of Al-Shabaab came from a man named Muhammad Abdullahi. No, oh. <laughs> coincidence president abdullahi ilhan abdullahi omar we're just saying coincidences we don't know if they're related yet okay so that happened so al-shabaab was not a terrorist organization it was a resistance it was a resistance for that country to maintain their identity as they saw fit they wanted to be an islamist nation they wanted to have sharia law they wanted to abide that's their prerogative right we're not going to tell them no you could do whatever you want it's none of our business it's your country run it the way you are just don't influence us don't impose us don't go to other countries imposing fair so that's how this whole thing started. And this is why, uh, you know, they say that President Abdullahi applied for asylum. Mm, I don't know. So he applied for asylum, got into, got himself U.S. citizenship, whatever. So where do we go now? So that's 2018. That's what's going on in Somalia, right? Uh, we have all this stuff. We have wars that are going on. And here's the thing. We see that there are very strong connections with Turkey. Very strong connections. Deep-seated connections. So deep-seated that when Ilhan Omar won her local election into Minnesota, that the foreign relations minister, if you look at my article, he talked about it, called her in 2016. She was not a member of Congress, right? She was simply within her state, which is no biggie, right? To be a state rep, to congratulate her. And you're thinking, why would he congratulate Omar? Like, what's the relationship? Mm. So here's where I'm going to take you to a trip down memory lane about Ilhan Omar so you can see where this goes and you can see just how genius our president is and how, you know, you got to be patient for these things to come out. And all of you out there, some of you are, you know, kind of on the fence about Laura Loomer. Let me tell you something. This girl is in her mid-20s. 
She has she is one of the most well-known investigative journalists on this planet. Why? Because of her loud voice. And some people may say, oh, well, she's like too extreme. She's like all about hating Muslims and whatnot. Listen, she's not. It comes off like that because the Muslim movement within the U.S. penetrating care, for example, penetrating, are not coming in peace. They're not coming to assimilate. They're not coming to, uh, how shall I say, uh, make things um, rosy. Mm, Is that a good word to say? Make things rosy. They're here to change the face of America. And that's what people are not understanding. So I could take it down to the fact that she's young, but also to the fact that she's angry. She has been reporting on this for, you know, years. You know that video that everyone's pandering? I'm so upset to see it. Well, it was me and Laura through Big League Politics that put through an article talking about it because I'm the one that exposed the NDSU stuff. And that's the professor she was talking about terrorism on. But now, you know, almost a year later, people are talking about it. Why a year later? Why did it take you a year to talk about something so important. Why? Because it wasn't time yet. So I'm pretty sure that the Trump administration has not forgotten Laura Loomer and what she's done. It's just we have to be patient. So here's where we roll it out. So what do we know about Turkey? Okay, they've got one of the biggest offshore, offshore meaning outside of their country, I guess, military bases in Somalia. They've been investing in their infrastructure like crazy. They have uh, had ties with the uh, with President Abdullahi before he was President Abdullahi. And here's the kicker. Ilhan Omar, right, was in communication with Turkey before she even entered Congress, having tons of communications, closed door communications with the ambassador of Turkey, with the president of Turkey, with the foreign minister of Turkey, and God knows how many other people. And according to our sources, she even met with President Rouhani. And she is the uh, poster child for the Islamist, uh, you know, regimes of Turkey, Iran and Somalia. In Somalia, there's a gag order. No one talks about Ilhan Omar. Now, here's where it gets weird. So in 2013, as you can see in my article, uh, Ilhan Omar was arrested protesting at the Ivy Hotel in Minnesota. At that point, the former president of um, uh, Somalia had uh, visited Minneapolis, right? This was in uh, 2013. So he visited Minneapolis and um, she was protesting, protesting. So who was she protesting with? Here's the funny part. So aside from the fact that she wasn't wearing a hijab, yet supposedly the hijab is super important for her now, she was protesting with two people that were picked up as terrorists. And they were linked to the Al-Shabaab bombing in Kenya. What? Say what? That's pretty crazy, isn't it? So she's protesting against him. She um, is, you know, she hates him. She's telling him how bad he is, how he's in the Western world's pocket, how he's not, you know, doing his job against Israel, how he's complying with all these Israeli interests. Again, Israel, Israel, Israel. And for some reason, out of the blue, out of the blue, in 2016, in December of 2016, he invites her to Somalia. Why would a president, 
right, a sitting president of Somalia who was being protested against, invite the person who was leading the protest with terrorists that were arrested in Minnesota in 2014 and sentenced in 2016, right? Why would he, why would he, okay, invite her? Well, because she is a very well-known person in Somalia, apparently. Apparently, she's a bit of a celebrity because, you know, she's uh, the... um, sitting, uh, uh, you know, representative for Little Mogadishu in Minneapolis. And a lot of people know her because, you know, she, uh, you know, represents the Somali community so well there. So he invites her and she goes and she goes with her husband, Elmi. Now, (laughs) what's funny is, guys, wait till you read this next article about her husband, Ahmed Elmi. Okay, so she goes there, there's pictures, and obviously the Somali uh, outlets have deleted most of them. We only found like two, Um, but we were able to retrieve uh, the article from Radio Daslan in Somalia. And it clearly writes that she met with him. She, um, he was running, he was the incumbent and he invited her to come and he was, you know, very, um, pleased that she came and you're thinking, well, why would he come? Why would he invite her if she protested him? Well, here's the kicker. She actually went to Kenya to meet uh, president Mohammed Abdullahi Mohammed, also known as Farmajo, which means cheesehead. Hmm. <laughs> And wait till you hear the connections of Mr. Cheesehead and Omar right after this break. Because this is pretty explosive. And now you're going to see how stealthy Trump is. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com
Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219. All right, welcome back to the Tory Says Show. So now I'm going to show you how deep-seated her ties are with Al-Shabaab. So she uh, protested against the president when he, uh, the president of Somalia, who at the time, uh, you know, was uh, visiting in Minnesota, and this is President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed. And, you know, it's important to note that Amina Mohammed Esse and Mahdi Hussein Fure were with her at the protest with Ilhan Abdullahi Omar. And it is important to say that according to the FBI investigation, uh, you know, they were actually just sentenced in 2015 uh, for aiding and abetting Al-Shabaab and the attack on the Kenyan Mall, which, by the way, I just want to say we will be publishing this article. Can you believe that possibly the Al-Shabaab attack... um, All of them, actually, are probably funded with yours and my federal tax dollars. That is something that is not news. It's been reported for many years now. We'll get into that at another time. But here's where we go. We know that Ilhan Abdullahi Omar sympathizes with terrorists. We know this, right? She wrote uh, a letter uh, to a judge to be lenient uh, on ISIS recruits to get lenient sentences, uh, you know, Uh, She met with, uh, you know, the former president who was, you know, an incumbent. He was a favorite. But apparently, uh, after meeting with uh, President Hassan Sheikh at Villa Somalia on December 20th, she went to Kenya and she met with President, the current president, Abdullahi. Now, it was reported by a German outlet right, a German outlet that was covering the elections, that there were 21 candidates up for re-election. Here's the kicker. The elections were supposed to be held at the end of December, right? They should have been done of 2016, but they couldn't. Why? Because Al-Shabaab was killing people, right, who weren't going to vote for their guy. And you have to wonder, like, who's their guy? Who won? Oh, okay. Even the New York Times had published an article uh, claiming how corrupt Uh, You know, the whole thing was going on. You know, they were paying uh, delegates to vote for MPs. They were paying. But like, you know, we're talking thousands of dollars, which in Somalia is a lot of money. Right. Um, They were paying people to buy votes. Okay, who won? All right, let's remember. President Abdullahi won. So here's where it gets super weird. So Ilhan Omar endorses 
President Abdullahi from Minnesota, where she holds a presser for all the Somalis there, wearing a button promoting President Abdullahi, uh, you know, as a candidate who ultimately won on uh, February 8th, 2017. That's how long it took to actually get these elections done. Now, the kicker. USA Today did a whole profile on this new president and omitted the fact that he was prime minister of Somalia at one point. They omitted the fact that he ran for president in 2012 and lost to President Sheikh, you know, the one that Ilhan Omar was protesting, saying that his election was illegitimate because it should have been what? President Abdullahi. I mean, Ilhan Abdullahi Omar had a lot of interest. So, Here's where it gets even more pear-shaped. You know, she's got all these connections with Turkey. She's got all these connections with politicians there. And now suddenly her brother-in-law, her brother-in-law, right, uh, is the prime minister. His name is Hassan Ali Kier. He is the prime minister of Somalia, who Ilhan Omar's brother-in-law. In law who married her alleged sister. And I say alleged because information is coming to surface that indeed the father of Ilhan Omar, who came to America with her, Mr. Elmi, you know, her dad is not her dad. (gasps) What? So we're saying that she married her brother, Elmi, right? But in essence, uh, he's not technically her brother because she was smuggled here because Ilhan's family is actually wanted for war crimes in Somalia. So this is breaking. You're hearing it here first. We're going to be putting that together with um, Alora Loomer and uh, putting it out there. But this is just how deep-seated it is. And what's more insane is that... (sighs) We've been reporting that there's something here, immigration fraud and whatnot. But what if I told you that President Abdullahi, right? President Abdullahi is actually um, part of the same clan as Ilhan Omar Abdullahi, the Darad clan. What if I told you, what if I told you? that um, Ilhan Omar was not born in 1982, as she claims, but she was actually born in 1977 uh, and was a child of uh, a certain clan member. That is what we need to remember. So these are all things that are coming to surface because even though there's a gag order, there's a lot of Kenyans and a lot of Somalis that have been hurt by this. Now, I'm going to play a video that... Uh, you know, Laura Loomer is going to be in Minnesota today, but I want to play this three minute video that just uh, was published um, last night uh, for you guys to take a listen about Ilhan Omar and pay attention to the end. This is part one of the Alpha News Minnesota series. Minnesota Democrats, media and the Department of Justice have continually ignored strong evidence supporting the fact that Ilhan Omar may be directly involved in tax, marriage, and immigration fraud. In 2002, Omar married Ahmed Hersey in a religious ceremony. Hersey is the father of Omar's three children and is pictured often with Omar and their children on their campaign website. In 2016, Minnesota journalist Scott Johnson received a tip about a post from a Somali community website 
containing marriage certificates alleging Omar married her brother, Elmi, in February 2009 in order for him to immigrate to the U.S. legally, despite the facts she'd been married to the father of her children, Hersey, over a decade. This clearly proved that any such second marriage might be bigamous under Minnesota law as well as fraudulent. Later in August 2016, further investigations into legal documents and filings in Minnesota by journalist Priya Samsundar uncovered evidence supporting the allegation that Ilhan Omar married her brother, Ahmed Nursed Elmi, in 2009. The 2009 marriage license to Elmi lists the same address as one filed for a Minnesota business three months later in May 2009 for a one-to-one -one cafe by Hersey, the father of Omar's three children. That means Ilhan Omar was living with both her real husband, Hersey, while still married to her brother, Elmi. Omar has continued to deny the allegations dismissing them as baseless rumors and fake journalists on bigot blogs despite mounting evidence. High school record evidence also support the claim that Elmi is indeed her brother and graduated in 2003 from Arlington Senior High School in St. Paul, Minnesota with enrollment records that state he was born April 4th 1985, the same birth date listed on Omar's 2009 marriage certificate to Elmi. As troubling details mounted against Omar, members of the Somali community were threatened into silence through intimidation tactics and physical violence on themselves and their families still back in Somalia. In an obtained Facebook Live video from August 18, 2016, a woman identified as the Associate Chair of the Somali American Caucus speaks. And in translation, she states in plain terms that any Somali that talks about Omar's personal life, including marriage discrepancies, is an enemy of the Somali community. Credible sources in the Somali community have stepped forward and provided Alpha News with information in exchange for anonymity, along with members of the 2003 class have also identified Elmi's father as. As nurse said Elmi Mohammed, the same man who calls himself father to Ilhan Omar. Oh, nurse said Elmi Mohammed is Ilhan Omar's, Ilhan Abdullahi Omar's father who is also the father of Ahmed Hersey, uh, Ahmed Elmi, her brother. Well, what if I told you that if someone genetically tested her children, they're not Hersey's and they're actually Elmi's? So here is what we've discovered. First of all, we have to remember that just a couple months ago, an, an, a Somali war criminal was arrested right? That was driving an Uber and a Lyft. Do you guys remember that? That he was arrested and he was a war criminal, burning people alive, slaughtering them, right? How did he get into this country? I'll explain to you. So a bunch of refugees when they come here, and this is a known problem with the State Department. There's even records that I can that I will be linking up from state auditor reports in the state of North Dakota, because we are one of the states that import unaccompanied minors from Somalia or Kenya state that, uh, you know, the the 
the kids that are coming here don't really give their real date of birth and they're grown adults, right? When they're actually, and, and claiming that they're minors. Now, Breitbart had put out a report how in Europe they're finding an increased amount of migrants claiming that they are, you know, 18 years old or under the age of 18 when some of them are actually over the age of 30. Okay. And this is because, and you have to understand why they do this is when these migrants come here, if you have minors within your group, uh, you get put to the front of the line. Also, minors get more benefits. Like those minors uh, that are accompanying families that are refugees coming here, they get food stamps, they get extra care, they get free housing, they get childcare, they get all these benefits, right? When they claim that they're younger than they really are. But here's the kicker. Omar, right? Ilhan Omar apparently didn't leave um, Somalia with her family in whole, she actually left Somalia um, undercover because her father was wanted and her father had already claimed asylum somewhere else. So the date of birth change and tacking onto the Elmi family as a child was supposedly to get her out of the country. Now, this is coming from Kenyan sources. Now, one thing that Europe has started to do, which is very expensive, is actually conduct medical tests that are very expensive that can actually determine that um, people claiming that they're under the age of 18 are actually over the age of 18 because you can tell from the cell's age, etc. Now, this is common practice. So Ilhan Omar was not really born in 1982. According to sources, she was born in 1977. And she was probably the child of a war criminal. This war criminal is alleged to have already received asylum in the U.S. And, you know, it's just really, really odd how things are kind of panning out. I mean, uh, you know, you have to think that a corrupt presidential election in Somalia brings up President Abdullahi. Ilhan Abdullahi Omar protests when he lost the 2012 elections, which, by the way, the mainstream media didn't even mention when he was, uh, you know, when he failed. He was also prime minister. They didn't even mention that either. Um, but what's weird is, is that they literally had politicians paying people for votes in Somalia. And remember, the elections were delayed. Why? Because Al-Shabaab said, uh, you know, we get to decide. So what did they decide? Because Mohammed uh, Mubarak, who is part of the anti-corruption organization, I don't know how this guy is still alive, says that the election of 2017 was awesome for Al-Shabaab because the government lost even more legitimacy. And that the Somali government, um, one guy who was a presidential candidate that was the foreign minister of planning, said the Somali government has absolutely no authority, no popular support, no monopoly on violence. It's literally a front. It's a charade. It is a front. And here's the thing. The incumbent president, President Sheikh, actually, you know, was running saying, hey, we've got investments from the IMF. They're going to invest in our country. We're going to have so much more money. We're going to do this. But he was too Western. Al-Shabaab did not want him now here's the kicker abdullahi was like yeah we're gonna fight terrorism we're gonna fight al-shabaab he's gotten so much money and he's done nothing to help 
take back any territory, supposedly, that Al-Shabaab has, even though Al-Shabaab has all the territory. In addition, we have to remember that the Al-Qaeda leader, that President Barack Hussein Obama let go in 2012, is the head of Al-Qaeda in Yemen, who is funding and supporting and has publicly stated that they support Al-Shabaab, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, one in the same. This is why Ilhan Omar cannot denounce Al-Qaeda, will never denounce Al-Qaeda because Al-Shabaab is still to them a resistant movement. Now, under this new supposed president that's a dual citizen of the U.S. fighting terrorism, we had a woman stoned to death because Sharia law is applied, right? She was stoned to death under his watch. We had the bombing just the other day that killed 26 people, two of them Americans, Ilhan Omar did not even speak. She didn't even mention, oh my gosh, we lost two Americans in this bombing. This is horrible. Terrorism is horrible. Nothing. She didn't say a word. Why? Where is she? Why isn't she saying, I feel bad that two Americans were killed in this 14-hour attack in Kismayo? Why? Because it's her group. You get it? So here is where it's all coming to fruition. And President Trump has been waiting for it. Why? He has come out and said, whatever he did on the tweets, which is a, you know, maybe you should go back to your country and fix it. Because obviously we've got President Abdullahi, your maybe daddy, your maybe relative, part of the same clan. Um, And on Somali groups, by the way, they don't like Omar. They're like, you are not a part of the Darod clan. You are not an Arab descendant. They hate um, black African clans that claim to be Arab clans. You know, there's like a, you know, hatred between them. You think racism is bad. Clan territories are even worse. So the thing is, we've got this, uh, you know, war criminal Somali in our custody. Uh, You know, does he have family back in Somalia? Maybe. Maybe we can evacuate his family from Somalia, bring him to the States, even though he's a war criminal in Somalia, and give us all the goods, man. Give it to us. Because you came through our system. You were working for Uber and Lyft. I mean, look at Omar. She married her brother, who's her brother brother on paper, but may not be related to her brother, but she was what? stated that he will be her husband in exchange. And now all her family members are getting all these positions in the Somali government. And here's the thing. Just four months ago, President Abdullahi said exactly what Al-Shabaab says. We have our surrounding countries trying to influence and tell Somalia how to be run. We will not allow this. Whoa, sounds like the manifest to Al-Shabaab. Boy, this is interesting. And what did they bomb? They bombed a meeting. What did they attack? A meeting at a hotel where they were discussing how they can have more transparency and finally put an end to these clan territorial wars, how they can put an end to radical Islamic, you know, uh, regimes, how they can put an end to Sharia law because the people of Somalia, the majority supposedly wants to be westernized. But, you know, people like Ilhan Omar don't want that. (laughs) They just lie. And Ilhan Abdullahi Omar, of course, she's very secretive about her background because then you'll find out she's not really who she says she is. Then you'll find out the immigration fraud she created or she enacted in may not be just that she married her so-called brother on paper, but may not be who she says she is. That means her supposed father that came over into the United States with her with fraudulent paperwork was not really her daddy and that he is harboring the child of some very big leader in Somalia, which 
which makes sense because why else? Would the prime minister, why else? Would the foreign minister, why else? Would the president of Turkey and other big Muslim Brotherhood officials call her, meet with her behind closed doors and have direct contact and be propped up by CARE, a worldwide organization that has so much money prop Ilhan Omar because she is preaching her ways, their ideologies through our halls of Congress, which is unacceptable. So this is where we are with Omar. And what did the president do? Pretty sweet. He put that all out and he got what? He got the Democrats to do what? Take a listen. Every single member of this institution, Democratic and Republican, should join us in condemning the president's racist tweets. To do anything less would be a shocking rejection of our values and a shameful abdication of our oath of office to protect the American people. I urge a unanimous vote and yield back the balance of my... I was just going to give the General Speaker of the House if she would like to rephrase. Would you like to rephrase it? Here's the thing. Now the Democrat Party owns Ilhan Omar. So when all of this comes to fruition, the question will be like, hey, yo, Democrat Party, wait a minute. Hold on. Hmm. Did you not check into her? I mean, there's an allegation. I mean, at least look into it. She's sitting in the Hall of Congress. You placed her on the Foreign Relations Committee, even though she had closed door meetings that are well publicized, both by national and international media. You placed her, even though in no official capacity was she meeting with hostile nations, and you placed her on the Foreign Relations Committee. Ooh. So now the Democrats, they've just imploded because now that all this on Ilhan Omar pops now all of it is going to pop not the fact she married her brother because marrying her brother they would have to check is he your brother let's see is he your brother did you really marry your brother for immigration hmm why wasn't your brother with you on that plane ride to New York when you arrived Oh, because he's not really your brother and he was in England because he has British citizenship because he went with his real family, the Elmi family, right? The other half, his mama, out to England and you came with your fake daddy. This is all going to come together. We need to focus. These uh, clans stick together and this is why they're being threatened. So immigration fraud happened. Was it that she married her legit brother? Don't know. Was it that she came over here with fraudulent papers and Elmi, her dad, nurse said Elmi was posing as her dad when he wasn't and why? And she provided false documentation of her date of birth. I mean, we could just do some genetic testing, you know, someone can grab some kind of DNA, a hair strand, right, from anywhere, and check it. But I'm pretty sure that the U.S. government has already done that. I mean, you know, kids go to the doctor. And what people don't seem to understand is that when you go to the hospital and you sign the consent to treat, in there, if you actually read it, it says that they can hold your DNA profile, pictures, and everything on file for research purposes according to federal regulations, right? Mm-hmm. 
for up to seven years. See, people don't read that stuff. <laughs> Incredible. So I'm pretty sure her kids went to the doctor at one point. She went to the doctor at one point. I mean, she had kids here, didn't she? Didn't they take their blood type, check them, right? Same for her brother slash husband and her cultural husband. All that. They're on the record somewhere. So I'm pretty sure, pretty sure we already got this. So, um, Obviously, I uh, totally ran into this Omar stuff, so I just want to give you guys an update. So El Chapo was sentenced to life today. Uh, the Epstein trial, boy, guys, this is getting real cool. So Epstein is getting insane. We've got Pinker from Harvard denying that he knows Epstein, denying this, and it's like, how can you deny it? In my article on torysays.com, on my expose, I've got a picture of you, Dr. Pinker, on the Lolita Express, so you can't deny it. So many people are coming forward. So many people are being attacked. And Wexner is in a lot of trouble along with other people. Gosh, this is glorious. So Epstein is being, his bail hearing is being delayed because more things are coming up. And I'll tell you what I hear from the Southern District of New York. There's some photographer chick, some specific photographer chick, that would take pictures to put them online for people to select children. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. And they're online and you can pull it from the dark web to the now web. Oh, dear. This is what's coming out. And for all these failed actresses, failed models, failed this, that were all Epstein's envoys and and slaves, you know, they're all going to come to fruition. It's better that they just cough it up. I mean, Alyssa Milano has been going crazy. Uh, You know, we need to just listen carefully to what our president has to say. This Epstein scandal is going to take down everyone. And it is amazing the way it's working out. Amazing. It's delayed because when people now people are trying to, you know, digest what was going on with officials. But you've got so many people in Congress, the Senate, in the Pentagon, in the State Department that are going down with this. It is incredible that are still in office. So it's going to be pretty incredible. Lots of actors coming out too. I mean, if I was Sean Penn, I'd be looking uh, behind me and making sure that no one's following me. Right, Sean? Uh, You know, El Chapo may have gotten life in prison, but we'll see how sweet that deal is for him. On that note, keep your eyes open. I'll be tweeting out this new article about uh, Omar and her links to terrorist organizations. These are all questions we should all be asking. How vetted are the people that come into the United States asking for asylum are? It's not just the southern border. On that note, we wish you all a great day and God bless from all of us here at Red State. A long way from the suits in D.C. But close enough now to see this mess Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper I grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper Just to bury my kids right up to there